Hey, it's Sarah. And I'm Erin. And this is 31 Nights of Scary Shit. Why are you grumpy? I don't know. God, we're starting the episode with you angry as shit at me. I'm not I'm not angry at anyone. I'm I think I'm just tired. I think you're angry. The crabs have turned you angry. Maybe, I don't know. Anger crabs. Do you have anything else to share? <laughs> just a segue from the previous episode that we clearly are recording back to back. Um so I was gone a lot. And you were asking what I did while I was gone, while the world was falling apart. That's been happening for two years, Erin. I know, but I just suddenly realized it. That's the thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I just suddenly realized it. But anyway, anywho. So remember I had that trip planned? Yes. You're lying. Yes. <laughs> so I went up to a place called Lilydale, New York. And Lilydale, New York is basically the... Uh, it's a town of registered mediums. I don't know how many. The whole town? Um, not everyone in town is a medium, like, but there's in order to live there you have to be a medium. No, but I'd say a good majority of people who live there year round are probably registered mediums. So um Who are they registered with? Mediums of America? MOA. MOA. <laughs> You know, I don't know. You know, I actually should do an episode on on, on this is what I should do because it's pretty interesting history. So anyways, um, long story short, I, I went up there and I did have a reading with the medium and my friend Dawn was with me and she also had a reading. Well, I had mine first and I did not really want a reading of where dead people were coming in. I did. No, I wanted like someone to read my aura and like do a picture of my aura kind of thing. Well, the people I wanted that that did that were not available. So I'm like, okay, I'll I'll go to a medium. And when I was sitting there, we were we were getting ready and she opened with a prayer, you know, a, a spiritual prayer and I closed my eyes and I was getting in getting into the mood. And I'm not kidding you. And I felt this feeling before. So I had gone to a group medium, a, a medium, a reading one time. And I think I told you the energy, you can feel an energy shift. So I had my eyes closed and I wasn't really, I didn't know if she was looking at me or not. And all of a sudden I felt like a weight on my head and kind of a weight on my shoulders and just like an energy shift. And she says to me, did you feel the presence of spirit come in? And I said, yeah, I did. I said, well, I felt something. And she said, well, what'd you feel? So I told her, I said, well, you know, it's like it's pressing down on my head and almost like it's pressing on my shoulders and it's wrapped around me. And she said, oh, okay, you, you felt the, the presence of spirit. Good for you. Not everybody can say that. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So she did reading of father's side, reading of mother's side, and then what she calls the family, the family, which could be like friends that are deceased. So the most compelling thing that she told me um, was about my father. And the biggest concern with my father, with me and probably most people, were, was the fact that we believed he had died alone, which he did. Okay. So naturally, you know, we all kind of go, oh, my gosh, somebody died alone. You know, how, did they suffer? What was going on? So when he came through, he said, um, I need her to know and, you know, everybody else, you know, loved ones that I snapped out of my body so quickly. I didn't feel anything. Um, 
It was very quick. And then he talked about somebody coming down the tunnel to greet him, which I took to be his grandfather. She kept saying grandfather, but I think it was his grandfather who died in almost exactly the same way. And he said, you know, uh, tell everybody that it was peaceful. I was happy. Um, I'm the type of person that didn't want to lay around and suffer. It was best. I went that way, et cetera. And then he also, and he also said, and make sure that your mother knows this. And the medium said, well, but you and the, the, your father and mother weren't together though, were they? And I said, well, no. And she, and, and she said, well, he wants her to know. Cause he knows that she felt, you know, she, she really felt the death, um, and felt, you know, felt her mortality and she felt, you know, the not guilt, that's not what it is. But anyway, so that was very like cathartic and like very peaceful because no one wants to think someone died alone, you know, and they suffered and all that. The other thing that was compelling was when she did a characterization of my mom's mother. I'm like, how did you, how are you doing this? Did you meet this woman? I mean, it was dead on. It was even like funny. It was even like, I mean, I was laughing. She's like, well, you're, she, she said, well, your grandma showed up and your dad's still here. And she goes, hmm. She goes, when they were alive at the same time, was there a bit of, you know, push and pull? And I said, yep. And she goes, now I get good things from your dad over here, but your grandma's got some comments. And she goes, I'm thinking those comments, she might want me to, might want me to not say them out loud. So in other words, you know, it was like, yeah, you know, he, you know, she wasn't his biggest fan kind of thing, but she like characterized her in such a way that was so dead on. I was like, there's no way this has to be legit. So anyway, it was a pretty, um, I'd say it was about 80% compelling and maybe 20% generic. And it was like way, um, it was pretty accurate. Let's put it that way. I didn't pretty feel cool. like, I didn't feel like I got gypped. I thought it was pretty pretty spot on. So pretty cool. Now, are some people quacks? Absolutely, all of them. I don't think she was. Every one of them. And and I also want to come say, for me, people. Yeah. Well, I also want to say I did. I was very careful. I did not give her information. I was saying yes. But and no. she knew that your parents were divorced. No, she didn't. She asked. Oh. No, she didn't know. She only had my first name. I didn't give her credit card information prior. Really? No, but some people require you to like do a PayPal or something. So like she did not have my last name. She didn't have where I was from. So it's not like she could research. She so could we- tell from your voice. No, oh, yeah, of course. She went, ah, El County, Pennsylvania. Of course. Another one. Boonies. Yeah. Anyway, I just rad it was a pretty cool experience and i think i might do an episode on the history of it because it's like the birthplace of like women's suffragism up there i mean it's it's suffragist suffragistism suffragism suffragism benny and the jets yeah um um so friends today's episode it's an intense one and i don't particularly understand why i wanted to do this one it's pretty horrific. How long ago was this? Wasn't that long ago, was it? Like 20 years ago. Was it 20 years? It was oh 2001, my. yeah. Oh my um, gosh. This story is about a parent murdering their children, and typically people are not drawn to stories like that because it's pretty horrific to do that. Uh, killing children in general, but let alone your own kids. Um, but we have done women who have killed their own kids. Yes, it's we just, have. It's just that this one's this more one's recent. This one's particularly... It is. Shocking, though. It is. Like, Belle Gunness killed her kids, but it was more like... Well, we're far removed from She it. was an asshole. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Like this person wasn't necessarily an asshole. The more you dig into the case, the more you see where things went wrong. Like literally every step of the way things were going wrong. Like had she not been in Texas (laughs) in the nineties, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Um, This isn't to say I sympathize with her or can excuse away any of her crimes, but this case sheds light on the intersection of law, mental health, and women. You know, it's something that's not really touched upon a lot in this particular space, in my opinion. No, not at all. Yeah. So Andrea Yates, the woman I just vaguely gave you an idea we were covering today, is to put it lightly a monster when it comes to the crimes she committed against her own children. However, it is more complicated than that. Yates wasn't just a woman who wanted to get rid of her kids or masterminded this scheme to finally be away from them. Andrea Yates is a troubled person. I hate the word troubled, but it seemed to be the only appropriate word in this particular Mm -hmm. situation. With many established diagnoses that agree or not make this case something unlike what we have ever seen. I don't think I've ever heard of a case like this before. Mm, Before I say it, I'm going to look something up real quick and then I may. Me personally. I'm thinking of one other woman. The specificity of it. Lori Vallow is the only one that comes close. And that was a little different. Um, Anyway. What about Susan Smith? It's a little different. It's a little different. This one's a little like more religious abuse kind of stuff. Okay. Because hers was pretty callous and pretty bad. It's not really callous though is the thing. It's You'll see. I don't mean that killing five kids isn't callous. I'm just saying... She was disturbed. This person was insane at the time that this happened. Um, whereas if you're killing your kids cause you just don't want them anymore, I don't have sympathy for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Susan Smith just wanted a new life with her boyfriend. Yeah, so that, she, she's she, just an asshole. Yeah. I felt so bad for the husband in that one. He was just. So Andrea's case and her crimes cause us all to wonder how close are we to committing the unspeakable when we think we are doing the right thing. That's what she thought she was doing. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get into it. And what we're going to do is we're going to do a little role play here. Oh boy. I have a script. Okay. You're not going to like it. Okay. You're going to be the 911 dispatcher. Okay. I'm going to be Andrea Yates. Okay. Okay. What's your name? Andrea Yates. What's the problem? Um, I just need him to come. Is your husband there? No. Well, what's the problem? I, I need him to come. I need to know why we're coming, ma'am. Is he there standing next to you? No. She? Pardon me? Are you having a disturbance? Are you ill or what? Um, yes, I'm ill. Do you need an ambulance? No, I need a police officer. Yeah, send an ambulance. What's the problem? Um. Hello? I just need a police officer. This was the call that was made to 911 right after she drowned her five children in a bathtub. Mm. Just to rip the bandaid off there. Yeah. So how did Andrea Yates get to this moment? Let's start at the beginning. Andrea Yates was born Andrea Pia Kennedy. On July 2nd, 1964 in Houston, Texas. Yeah. Close. To the day of your birth, which is horrifying. July. She was the youngest of five children. Her mother, Jetta Karen Kohler, was a German immigrant. Jetta, like the car? Jetta. Jetta. Okay. And Andrew Emmett Kennedy, whose whose parents had been uh, born in Ireland. Mm. Um, Her parents raised all the children in Catholicism. So there's already a good thick layer of religious uh, cultism right there. 
<laughs> Andrea suffered with bulimia when she was growing up, and a source stated later that she was incredibly depressed in high school, confided in a friend that she wanted to complete suicide. So, troubled. That's hotly debated, though, just in case anyone was curious. Yates graduated from Milby High School in 1982, the year of my sister's birth. She was the valedictorian, captain of the swim team, and an officer in NHS. I don't know how you could be those things and be incredibly depressed and going to kill yourself, though. I mean, I just feel like if you're depressed, you're not really, like, super motivated to do shit, I guess. I think it it can show up in different ways, I guess. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yates would go on to complete a pre-nursing program and then go on to graduate from the University of Texas School of Nursing. Um, She would... um, start work as an RN at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center and would work there from 1986 to 1994. Lovely. In 1989, Yates was 25 and living in the Sunscape Apartments in Houston. Yates saw this this guy and despite usually being a very reserved young woman, decided to go strike up a conversation, literally Sources said that she didn't have any like boyfriend or anything until she was 23 mm-hmm. and right before she had met her husband and then husband, um, she had just like gotten dumped essentially. Uh, this man was 25 year old Russell Rusty Yates and they eventually would move in together, spending most of their time in religious study and prayer. That sounds like all my dates. I don't know how you move in out of wedlock and still conform to religiosity, though, because all of it is about being abstinent. So I don't understand. I don't either. Uh, They would end up getting married on April 17th, 1993. Does that date have any significance? It feels like lots of times when we read dates, they're significant. I graduated from high school that year. Is that why? Wow. You're really showing your age. I'm not I'm kidding. I'm not literally showing my age. I'm just telling you. My You're age. telling me. We all know I look literally 15. 13. Um, <laughs> it has been said that at their wedding, they were heard telling their guests that they planned on having as many children as nature provided. <laughs> Which is kind of ominous knowing what happens later. Oh my God. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. It, they say it a lot. That is like the worst foreshadowing I've ever heard. Yeah. After the wedding, they bought a four-bedroom home in Friendswood. What a great town name. Friendswood. And in February 1994, they had their first son. His name was Noah. John Yates, their second son, was born on December 12, 1995. So they're rapid succession kind of people. Rapid fire. Yeah. Uh, By 1996, uh, Rusty had gotten a job in Florida and decided to relocate the whole family. Mm-hmm. They moved into a 38-foot trailer in Seminole, Florida. Wow. Yeah. That's two kids, two adults at this point. While they were in Florida, Andrea ended up having a miscarriage. Um, and this is why I think Rusty decides to move the family back to Texas in 1997, is I think they had gotten sucked sucked up into some considerably more religious circles, and he took it as a sign to move back to where she had been more, quote, fertile. Uh, yes. So by 1997, they were back in Texas and their third son, Paul, was born in, on September 13th, 1997. So these kids all have biblical names. Noah. John, Paul. John, Paul. George and Ringo. Luke <laughs> is another one. And then Mary. So, yeah. Oh, boy. Um, in 1998, Rusty decided to purchase a 350 square foot renovated bus 
which became their permanent home. That's rad. That's what I'm thinking of doing. That's three kids into it. No, it's not rad with three kids, but on your own it would be. Yeah. I don't mention these different homes in an attempt to say, oh, they were poor or white trash or something like that, but rather to show all the circumstances that led to what ended up happening in 2001. I mean, super religiousness, super tight quarters. You really don't have any friends. You've got all these kids. Like, it's a lot. Um, The following year, Luke, their fourth son, would be born on February 15th, 1999. So for those of you counting, four children and two adults in a renovated bus. That sounds like a nightmare to me. Uh, Yeah. To say the least, it was cramped, and I can imagine the chaos that the bus had to have been constantly in. That's four boys. All under the age of probably, what, four? That's insane. After Luke was born, Andrea fell into a deep depression. By today's understandings, it was postpartum depression, which, as we know now, is not something to just push off as being not a big deal. No. At this point, Andrea became obsessed with Michael Warnecke. Who's Michael Warnecke? A super crazy born-again Christian priest that's all about the quiverful movement. If you've never uh, heard of quiverful shit, you just need to Google it. It's, do you remember it. that show on Netflix that came out about the the um, fertility doctor that was inseminating? Yes. yes. That was quiverful shit. Yeah. Yeah. Ew. So he was a traveling minister with very extreme views, like I just said. This was also the person who had sold Rusty the bus. Oh, lovely. So there was a sort of connection there. And you can imagine for a woman going through what she was going through to latch onto anything was probably better than feeling like you were drowning. In some sources, the Warneckes and the Yates family knew each other for quite some time. Rusty had allegedly met Michael at Auburn in the mid eighties where Michael was preaching and they had stayed in touch over the years to some, the families were very close and that there had been some sort of falling out between Rusty and Michael where Rusty never spoke well of them ever again. Okay, so this is like super intense religious people. But still in her depression, Andrea clung to Warnecke's preachings and sermons to the point that their family was, that like her family was worried about Andrea and her obsession. Like they were concerned. Um, To give you an example of one of his sermons, he said, the role of women is derived from the sin of Eve and that bad mothers who are going to hell create bad children who will go to hell. Oh, lovely. And like I said, Wernicke espoused the quiverful lifestyle. And like I said, please go Google it if you don't know what what that is. I don't want to go down the rabbit hole because it's kind of insane. Um, but essentially, you should have as many kids as possible with as many people as possible. Right. Um, it's believed that this is what contributed to Andrea's deteriorated mental state, along with her husband pushing children on her to accomplish those quiverful goals. And I unfortunately think, you know, where we're going with this. You know, bunch of kids, a lot of pressure. It ain't going to end well. So on June 16th, 1999, Andrea called Rusty and told him to come home. Out of the blue. From work. When he got home, he found her shaking and chewing her fingers. Not chewing her fingernails, her fingers. Mm. The following day, she would be admitted to the hospital after she tried to complete suicide by overdosing on pills. She would be transferred to the Methodist Hospital Psychiatric Unit And diagnosed with major depressive disorder. So that's two different things. Postpartum major depressive disorder. The staff at the hospital said Andrea was evasive when discussing anything about her life, but was quickly prescribed antidepressants and released on June 24th. So that's like 10 days. Hmm. Not 10 days, 8 days. 
Once home, it was not all rainbows and sunshine. Andrea soon gave up the medication and became, began to self-mutilate. At one point, she refused to feed her children because she felt they were eating too much. Yeah. Andrea would tell people there were video cameras in the ceilings, and the characters on TV were talking to her and the kids. Rusty was aware of this the entire time, and he never once let Andrea's psychiatrist, Dr. Starbranch, know about the hallucinations. Well, that's irresponsible. Yep. And by July 20th, Andrea had put a knife to her neck and was begging Rusty to let her die. Mm. Andrea was once again hospitalized, which is the only good thing I can say about this whole thing. There was no hesitation to get a psych ward involved. Um, It was the follow through that didn't happen well after the hospitalization. Yeah. Upon arrival, Andrea fell into a catatonic state for 10 days. Andrea would be treated for the first time with a combination of drugs that included Haldol. It's an antipsychotic. We end up talking about it a lot later. Andrea immediately improved and Rusty described her as the person she was when they first met. He was very optimistic about this new medication and she was released with a prescription of Haldol and everything seemed to be going fairly well. The following month, however, Andrea had a nervous breakdown, attempted suicide two more times, and was hospitalized again. At this point, she is diagnosed with postpartum psychosis. Oh, my God. uh, Meaning the postpartum depression had progressed Mm -hmm. beyond the point of depression to the point where she's having hallucinations. So she should have been hospitalized. She was hospitalized. She was hospitalized? Okay. So we'll get into why it was both good that she was hospitalized and that system also failed her. We'll get to that at the end. Clearly. (laughs) Andrea's family was trying to talk Rusty into buying a home to get her off that dang bus, hoping it would give her some sort of stability. So Rusty moved the family into a small home to help Andrea and everything seemed to stabilize for the time being. Andrea would pick, um, end up picking up swimming again, cooking and even socializing with friends And she was treating her children well and enjoyed being around them. So everything was going really well when she was on the Haldol. Dr. Starbranch instructed the Yates to not, (coughs) excuse me, have any more children. Mm. I hope he's not laughing at us. Um, It sounded like a cough. Oh, it sounded like he laughed at me. (laughs) Oh, Um, As it would guarantee future psychotic depression. Uh, Well, let me see. Did they follow that advice? Seven weeks after her most recent hospitalization, Andrea would be pregnant with their fifth child. At this point, she stopped taking her Haldol in March of 2000 and had Mary in November 30th, 2000. Let me guess. He pressured her to go off and have another baby. We'll get back to that in a second. On March 12th, 2001, Andrea's father died and her mental state immediately fell apart. She stopped talking to people started mutilating herself and refused to feed her infant daughter. Andrea was frantically, that is the word that is used to describe it, frantically reading the Bible at all hours of the day and night. And this continued until she required hospitalization again. This time, however, it was at a different hospital and under the care of a different psychiatrist, a Dr. Muhammad Syed. He also had started her on Haldol, but quickly took her off of it citing that she did not seem psychotic. She didn't seem psychotic. (laughs) Um, Sir, that is not how this works. She was released only to return again in May, and on May 3rd, 2001, she was in a near catatonic state and drew a bath in the middle of the day, which isn't that strange, but it's kind of unusual. 
Later, she would say to the police that she intended to drown the children that day, but had decided not to. Mm. Um, Andrea had a scheduled doctor's visit the next day and was hospitalized immediately following that appointment because her state was so erratic. The psychiatrist believed she was suicidal and had intended to drown herself in the tub from the day before. She was was released 10 days later and at her follow-up after release was told to think positive thoughts by Dr. Syed. Real helpful. Think Real helpful. positive thoughts is the answer. The amount of times I've been told to think positive thoughts is enough to make me want to murder. I can't even imagine being literally having a psychotic break and someone says that to you. Like, I just don't know how your brain reacts. Ugh. Dr. Syed advised Rusty to not leave Andrea unattended from the first time he began treating her. So from the first time she was admitted to his hospital, she was he was like, do not leave her alone. I mean, that's not the greatest sign in the world. No. No. Rusty stuck to that for all of a couple days. <laughs> he began leaving her alone for short periods of, t- of time to improve her independence um, when someone has attempted suicide multiple times and has postpartum psychosis, yeah, that should not be your focus. Independence. Yeah. The weekend before the drownings, he had even announced at a family gathering that he would start leaving Andrea alone for one hour in the morning and evening each day so that she would not become totally dependent Did on him. Did he want her to die? I'll get to this. I mean, isn't that part of the deal when you get married to lean on one another in sickness and in health? Like it literally like she's dependent on you because she's having a psychotic. Or did he want this to happen? We'll get to that. I don't know if that's necessarily what he wanted, but I think he saw an end to. I think he saw a nice neat bow and just kind of let it happen. That's what I mean. Yeah. Andrea's mother was horrified and said to Rusty that she wasn't stable enough to care for the children, especially given that Andrea had almost choked her infant daughter by trying to feed her solid food. (laughs) On June 20th, 2000, Rusty left for work, leaving Andrea with the children for the morning hour before his mother, Dora, (coughs) was supposed to come over and take over caring for the children. So this happens in an hour in the morning. Hmm. At this point, Andrea begins to formulate her plan that she now says she had been thinking about for two years. She says that she heard a voice every day for two years telling her she was a bad mother and that her children would go to hell if they didn't have a better mother or an end. Mm -hmm. So she, at this point, decides to lock up the family dog Hmm. pretty much to make sure the dog doesn't interfere. Right. And prosecutors... Go back and say, that's proof that she could tell right from wrong because she locked up the dog. She didn't want the dog to get involved. And it's like, no, she just didn't want to be stopped from what she was doing. I don't think she knew what she was doing was right or wrong. Andrea went into the bathtub, trigger warning (laughs) on all of this. Andrea filled the bathtub with water and beginning with Paul, she drowned the three youngest boys, then placed them on her bed and covered them up which is typical for someone who knows their victims. She wants to blank out who they are, essentially. Andrea then took her infant daughter and drowned her in the tub, leaving her small body to float in the tub. That's a difficult phrase to say. 
Noah, the oldest, came into the bathroom, and Noah's only like seven, hmm. um, and sees his baby sister in the bathtub and starts asking what's wrong with Mary. Quickly realizing that something was wrong, Noah starts to run away from his mom. Ooh, it gives me goosebumps. It's very upsetting. To try and get some help. He was seven years old at this point. Andrea caught up to him and dragged him to the tub while he was screaming and fighting back. Um, she forced him in next to his baby sister's body. Um, and Andrea began to drown him. She ends up telling a jail psychiatrist that he was fighting the whole time and ended up coming up for air twice. Just like the amount of time it takes to kill somebody in general. And you're doing this to your child and they're coming up for it. It just, Mm -hmm. there's no way you're in your right mind. I just, there's no way. Um, Finally, however, Andrea was successful and drowned her firstborn, um, the last one to die. Andrea left Noah in the tub. She then took Mary's body and placed it in the arms of her brothers on the bed, which I find very interesting that she leaves the oldest one in the bathtub and the other one she places like strangely lovingly on her bed. That's never explained. She's the only girl. The girl might've been, it's her baby. It's her, it's the only girl. I don't know. Yeah, but the three boys are on the bed. I don't know. It's the oldest boy that's not in there. Um, she then took, Oh, I already said that. This is when she places the 911 call that I that we read earlier. And then after that 911 call, she calls Rusty only saying, it's time. Over and over and over again. Horrifying. Imagine getting that phone call with no context. It's time. It's time. It's time. Sure and then you find out that your wife killed your kid. Sure he didn't know. I mean, he was at work. <laughs> Like, there there are witnesses to corroborate that he was at work at the time. I know. Andrea immediately confessed to killing the children. Her story never wavered at all. She explained that she wasn't a good mother and that the children were not developing correctly because of that, and she needed to kill them to save them from hell. She had said later to a psychiatrist in a mental facility, it was the seventh deadly sin. My children weren't righteous. They stumbled because I was evil. The way I was raising them, they could never be saved. They were doomed to perish in the fires of hell. And then she goes to specifically say that Noah was tempted by Satan and being controlled by Satan. So maybe that's why he was in the bathtub by himself. I see. The trial was all of about three weeks long. Yates and her attorneys went with the insanity defense. However, Texas law requires that the defendant must prove that she could not discern right from wrong at the time of the crime, which is difficult to prove in general, let alone in Texas, where like mental health is not taken seriously to begin with. Um, hmm. So prosecutors also asserted that the motive was spousal revenge, that she was being abused by her husband. And so she killed her kids as revenge against her husband. I don't understand that as a motive. I don't either. I could see hating your husband who's an asshole and an abuser and killing him, him. Yeah. I don't see you going, ah, I'm going to kill our children. <laughs> I don't either. It doesn't make sense. Um, March 2002, the jury rejected the insanity defense and found her guilty. 
Prosecutors wanted the death penalty, but the jury refused that option, and she was sentenced to life in prison with the eligibility of parole in 40 years. So Mm. she'd be like 77. Mm. Because she was 37, I think, when Mm. this happened. So she would be uh, 77. Then a few years later, in July, on January 6, 2005, a Texas court of appeals reversed the convictions. Now, this is part of the story that I don't recall at all. She's in a mental facility, right? She's not in uh-huh. jail. And she's yep. got free range, really, doesn't she? I mean, no. not free range, but... No, she's not allowed to leave the facility. Oh, I thought she was. No, not at all. I'll get to that. Okay. Um, this was due to, to a Dr. Park Dietz. He was a California psychiatrist and prosecution witness who, in the trial, admitted to giving false testimony. Mm. Now listen to this. Dietz had said in open court that Andrea Yates was influenced by an episode of Law and Order where a woman had drowned her kids and was acquitted by reason of insanity. He stated that this was in the week that this episode aired in the weeks prior to the killings. <laughs> However, one of the writers of Law and Order at the time came out and was like, there's no episode like that that oh exists. Oh my god. So the appellate court found that the jury was probably influenced by this and called for a new trial. Oh, my God. What an idiot. Three days later, Yates pled not guilty by reason of insanity. Prior to the trial starting, Andrea was granted bail on the condition she be immediately admitted to a mental health treatment facility. She like literally she had to go from the jail to a mental health facility. And she agreed because the whole time she's going, I'm ill. Yeah. Like, once she's on her medicine, she's like, no, 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 I don't think you guys understand. I want to go. Like, there's something. I didn't want to kill my kids. Yeah. Which is even worse. And at the end, I'll talk about it a little bit. It's, like, even worse that, like, it's like you're trapped inside of your own body and you have no control over it. And she killed her kids and she probably inside was, like, screaming for help. It's just sad. Yeah. Um, And the world is out five children like (laughs) that could have, I don't know, cured cancer, you know, whatever. You know what I mean? You almost wish they would have been taken away before something happened. You know, like remove, I don't know. July 26th of 2006, three days of deliberation um, after her second trial, she was found not guilty by reason of insanity. So they had proven that she was not able to tell the difference between right and wrong at the time of the crime. And this was corroborated by multiple psychiatrists. And that's a very difficult thing to prove. So, I mean, I think the, there aren't many of those cases. I think the like lucidity of her on her medicine and the Mm -hmm. erratic behavior off her medicine is the only Mm -hmm. reason that that worked. Mm Um. For the agreement, per the agreement with the court, she was committed to the North Texas State Hospital. When you're not guilty by reason of insanity, you don't just go free. Um, if you are found not guilty by reason of insanity, you are immediately remanded to a mental health facility and you're not allowed to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, different states have different rules, and I'll get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. The following year, she was moved to a low security state mental hospital in Kerrville, Texas, and that's where she still is. Within each of the trials, there was a focus on the medications she was prescribed prior to the killings. Rusty and her family believed that the antidepressants were improperly prescribed by Dr. Syed. Yeah. I would agree with this because 
the words homicidal ideation were added to the warning label on Effexor because of this case. Yeah. If that wasn't a serious concern, mm-hmm. I don't think they'd be putting it on a medication label. Yeah. Um, prior to the crime, Yates had been taking 450 milligrams. I didn't know any dose was could be that high of any of those anti-psych meds. It's twice the recommended maximum dosage. That's just an antidepressant. That's not an antipsychotic. Oh, God. Effexor is just an uh, antidepressant. Mm. Um, Dr. Lucy Pure, 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 um, witness in the trial stated that it wasn't the antidepressants on their own that was the issue, mm-hmm. but the complete removal of Haldol from her system in the two weeks prior to the murders. Mm-hmm. For those of us on medications, we understand this and can see the logic because discontinuing a medication abruptly can have disastrous effects, even for something simple, let alone with the medications that Andrea was on. Yeah, it does. So she's on an antipsychotic and then all of a sudden is ripped off of it. Like oh, yeah. within four to six days, you probably recipe for disaster. Start having like massive hallucination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just insane. And this is where Andrea is to this day in that facility. The best place for her that can support her and ensure that she takes her medication. This is the facility keeps her away from people like her husband, Rusty. Because I don't think it's just a mental illness alone that caused this problem. Each year, she has the ability to be evaluated for release. So there's a stipulation in Texas where she is, she's given the opportunity and every year she waives it. Yeah. Every year she refuses to, um, I know, I can see that you're Googling it. No. Um, She, every year she like waives her right to... um, being evaluated because she knows she's not capable of being outside of the facility itself. Um, Rusty claims to this day that no one ever told him that his wife was psychotic or violent towards their children. He says that if he had known, he would never have had more children. Uh, Okay. However, Andrea's psychiatrist, Dr. Melissa Ferguson, the one that she has now that she's in the facility said that prior to having their last child, Rusty had convinced her to have another by asserting their procreative religious beliefs complimented her as a great mother while she's like trying to kill her kids <laughs> and said she could handle more children. Like that's the problem, sir. Um, he was a sick guy too. He pushed a troubled woman who had attempted suicide many times over and he knew she was struggling. Author Suzanne O'Malley, who's written an enormous amount about this case Uh, spoke about the absolute dumpster fire that is rusty when she said during the trial, he'd successfully maintained the position that Andrea would be found innocent. He had fantasies of having more children with her after she was successfully treated in a mental health facility and released on the proper medication. He's the one that's effed up. Oh, it gets worse. He worked his way through various fixes for their damaged lives, such as a surrogate motherhood, And adoption, which was horrifying to Andrea's family, attorneys, and Houston psychiatrists before he finally gave in to the reality of the situation. Oh, my God. Oh, and for the record, he divorced Andrea in 2004-2005 and got remarried. Has more kids. Yeah, he shouldn't have any either. No, I don't think he should either. There were some other failings in this whole situation that we have kind of alluded to. The medical system. Part of the issue with why this may have ended the way it did, the Blue Cross Blue Shield 10-day psychiatric medical hold policy. 
Mm. Insurance wouldn't cover a continued stay at the hospital past mm-hmm. 10 days on the psych ward, mm-hmm. which is a problem mm-hmm. because you can't fix any problem in 10 days, let alone a mental mm-hmm. health problem. Mm-mm. This was such a prevalent issue that nurses stated they would have falsified documentation to allow her to stay. <sighs> This is not just a Texas issue, but an across-the-board issue in this country. It speaks to the lack of mental health and mental illness treatment priority in this country. That we don't see that this is where the murderers and active shooters and domestic terrorists begin. With a lack of comprehensive mental health connections and services. In order to get a handle on most of these issues in our country, we need to focus on how we treat issues as they arise. Are we expecting a struggling mother to jump back on the horse too soon? Are there warning signs of religious abuse that we are overlooking? Mm -hmm. Are we releasing women into the care of husbands or partners that don't have their best interests in mind? Which I guess that speaks more to like a social work standpoint, but still there's a failure here. (laughs) These are big topics and big issues that we here at 31 nights can't fix, but we can bring awareness to them. As horrifying as this case is, it is incredibly sad in how Andrea Yates was failed by medical professionals and the medical system not looking out for the people within it. It's sad. It truly is because it should have not ended this way. Mm. So to this day, Andrea spends her days in Kerrville. And this is the saddest part. She makes blankets and kids' toys and like all these things that she anonymously donates or sells and the money goes to the Andrea Yates, like youth foundation or something kids Mm -hmm. foundation or something. And the rest of her time she spends watching old videos of her kids and looking at pictures of her kids openly sobbing. That's a living hell. Yeah. She got, I hate to say this. She got what she deserved from what she did. You know what I'm saying? She's getting the help she's getting, but she's also getting punished. I mean, she's, she can't ever bring her kids back. Yeah. And now she has the awareness to know what she did was so horrible. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I hate to say it like she's perpetually eternally going to be punished, but she did kill her five children. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're mentally ill or not. There is, you should have things taken away from you. <laughs> if you can just, Oh, be okay with killing five kids. I mean, not be okay, but like. But the man walked away into the sunset, didn't he? Got remarried yeah, but he and didn't more kill kids. anyone. I know he didn't. Um, and there isn't any proof that he's done any kind of other like I know abuse or anything like that. No, but, but he was part of that problem for sure. Yeah, he was part of that problem. Yeah, yeah. I just feel like where was her family? Like, why didn't her family pull her out of that situation? I put a lot of onus on the family for not being more involved in that situation. I mean, it's just kind of r- ridiculous to me, but people have their own lives. They don't have time to focus on everyone else's bullshit all the time. You know, yeah. crazy things could be going on in other people's lives and you'd have no idea. That is accurate. Yeah, it's true. All right, friends. Well, that that's our horrific episode for you today. Mm-hmm. Um, about children and I'm going to do an equally heavy story the next time I do an episode. So get buckle in for that friends. It's going to be exciting times, exciting times and uh, follow us on Facebook at 31 nights of scary shit on Instagram at 31 nights of scary shit. Send us an email at 31 nights of scary shit at gmail.com. All that stuff is linked in the show notes. 
I don't know, send us stories. We want to hear from you. Yeah, stories. For sure, for sure. And just make sure to uh, stay spooky. Bye.